everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Jeff Becomes Jeff. I hope you enjoyed the Thanksgiving episode. Some of you parents might be saying that wasn't as PG as I thought it was going to be, Jeff. But it was PG by the laws of PG. You could technically air that episode on NBC or CBS at 8 o'clock, prime time, and not violate any FCC rules. So, there you go. This episode is going to be kind of a follow-up to something I discussed very briefly early in the Thanksgiving special regarding my furnace. As I mentioned, my furnace went out uh, five days ago. Well, not went out, it just stopped blowing hot air. So essentially, a broken furnace. Never one to shy away from a challenge. I'm troubleshooting, I'm doing what I need to do to try and figure out how can I fix this without calling a repairman and turning this into some $8,000 fiasco. Speaking of which, I don't have $8,000 for a fiasco. You don't even have a pot to piss in. Yes, I do. I have several pots in my house to piss in. Don't worry. But I'm not afraid to roll up my sleeves, get my hands a little dirty, and try and fix things on my own. The main culprit seemed to be the thermostat, because when I woke up on the day that it was cold in my house, the thermostat showed nothing. And a few days before, it was blowing air out of the vent, but not hot air, and I had to kind of dick with the thermostat and do this and do that. And eventually, you know, in a matter of a couple minutes, the heat came back on and all seemed well. Then a few days later... Jeff wakes up with shredded sheets from his diamond-like nipples. All right, it wasn't that cold, but noticeable. So that night, I replaced the thermostat. I've never replaced a thermostat before, but I did. And as I mentioned on the last episode, it's a battery-operated thermostat, which my other one was not. So at least now I could see how freaking cold I was and not just have to guess. I was pretty close though, on my guesstimate. So I flipped the fuses back on for the furnace. I hit that thermostat onto heat and set it. Nothing happens. So now I'm not only realizing that it's not the thermostat that I just took time to go buy, to research, to install, and even when I figure out what it is, I still don't know if I installed the thermostat correctly. I've never done this before. I have no way to test it because the furnace is a big pile of shit. But I thought if the thermostat wasn't really working before, I still probably installed it properly. It's not that difficult, people. It's like four wires. They all have a color. They all go to a letter, which typically lines up with the color, like yellow, the yellow wire, goes to Y. The white wire goes to W. The hardest part was just making sure I didn't lose the wires in the wall. They didn't come out that far. So I'm using a chip clip on the wiring coming out of the wall to keep it from getting sucked back into the wall while I'm working on stuff. It was very delicate, but very doable. So all of this happened on Saturday. Now it's Sunday morning. I am just kind of a little dejected, still a little chilly. I ran the gas fireplace, but the gas fireplace really only heats the room that it's in. Maybe a little bit of the kitchen doesn't really go that much further. They say heat rises, but it's got to get to the point where it can rise in my house to the second floor, and it just doesn't go that far. So that heat doesn't rise that much. You better check your facts, Jeff. I also have a space heater, a safe one, one I can turn on and not worry about the cat getting too close to it, or it'll auto shut off after a while if it's been on too long, so it's relatively safe. I still don't run it through the night when I'm sleeping because I don't trust the auto shut off that much. 
I trust it. I don't trust it with my sleeping life. But between that and the fireplace, I was able to get through Saturday night without it being crazy cold in here or getting rather crazy colder. So then Sunday morning I wake up and I'm doing more troubleshooting and I realize there's this limit switch, which seems to pop up on all these different search results that I'm doing for different symptoms. And I realize this limit switch has a little button that you can press and you reset it so that if it's faulty, you can reset it and then run it for a while and then eventually that limit switch will fail again. I'm currently at a point where right now I'm getting about one hour out of the limit switch at any given time. So I'll heat the house, I'll get it maybe up to like 65, 66. I have to constantly check the vents because as soon as the limit switch cuts out, now the blower just runs and it just blows cold basement air up into the house and it dramatically drops the temperature very fast. At which point I go downstairs, I turn off the fuse, I let it sit for about an hour, then I press the limit switch button, I turn the fuse back on, and then I can get another hour or so of two to three degree heat increments. I normally keep the house around 68, 69, so I'm not too bad with a house that's like 66, 67. Right now, I think it's at 65 because I'm on a downswing where I'm waiting before I hit the limit switch and turn the fuse back on because I've noticed if I do all of that right after it goes off, it doesn't last very long at all. And I'm trying not to kill the limit switch completely because the part that I ordered, granted only $11 and it should be very easy to replace, but it's not scheduled to arrive until now is what I'm seeing on Amazon as Tuesday. Tuesday at the soonest, mind you. It could be a little bit later. Probably because of the holiday. That's fine. So I've still got at least another four or five days of playing this game with my limit switch on my furnace. But when all is said and done, I will have spent $33, assuming the limit switch fixes it, but I will have spent $33 and replaced and fixed the limit switch switch and also replaced my thermostat. Yay! I'm not really sure that the thermostat I bought being pretty much the cheapest model I could find. Not sure that it's better than the one I had there before, but I don't think it's that different. The one that was there before was certainly not high tech. So I've contemplated reinstalling the old one, but my stubbornness of having purchased the other one is taking over and will probably be the reason why that is still on my wall a year from now. But all that to say, this time of year, if you need to call someone for heating and cooling, well, typically heating where I live, it could be a while before you even get someone to be able to schedule you. It could cost a hundred plus dollars just for them to come tell you the problem. And I guarantee you that a $11 limiter switch, if you would have had that installed by a professional company, it would cost at least $100, probably closer to 200 bucks because of labor and up pricing. I learned all this. This is kind of how I got into early DIY. I'm the DIY guy. Auto repair. Up until I bought this certain piece of shit, GMC Jimmy, used, of course, very used, very road hard and put away wet. I, of course, didn't know that at the time of buying it, but it became rapidly apparent to me. 
as I drove it and it continued to suck more and more. But this was my main source of transportation. So when I was having problems, I knew nothing. I didn't know how to change oil. I knew how to change a tire, but that was it. And even then, it, like I would have not looked very proficient while doing it. I probably would have managed, but would have looked like a douche. But now I'm having, you know, misfires in the engine of this GMC Jimmy. So I'm starting to research. I'm buying books that are all about this particular model of this particular car. I don't have the money to take it to the shop. So I'm constantly replacing these little things here and there like spark plugs. Spark plugs are actually a very easy thing to replace, assuming that the car is not built like a fucking asshole. A GMC Jimmy is built like a fucking asshole. One of the six spark plugs, you have to go in under the front driver's side wheel well. You then need 47 additional adapters to go onto your socket wrench so it looks like this large, long piece of silver that has 47 elements elbows in it so that it can bend and do what it needs to do so you can reach it. And of course, because of where it is, there's there's no seeing it. I mean, you learn very well when you're working on cars to see with your hands, which is why, ladies, I would recommend if you're looking for someone to get romantic with, get romantic with a mechanic. Oh, yeah. I'm seeing with my hands. Mm. But all that stuff I'm discussing, that was the easy shit that I had to do with the Jimmy. Then all of a sudden, like, I was driving and it just felt like it was like the front left wheel or something just wasn't attached properly. Luckily, I lived very close to a place called Dave's Tires, and I took it to Dave's Tires to be looked at, and they gave me a bill that was like $2,500. I'm like, I don't have $2,500. I'll write you this check. I'll put my name on this piece of paper, but I'll make no promises. No, I didn't do that. I didn't write them a bunk check. Instead, I took their printout of the parts that they needed, and most of it, again, was labor. I looked up the parts on AutoZone.com, and this was a long time ago, so this was probably very early at the time that you could get onto, like, an auto part website and see what was available and in stock at local stores. But the parts I needed, they were, like, 250 bucks. It was all labor. And of course they upcharge on the parts. You know, what I could get at AutoZone for 25 bucks was a $75 part at the shop. That's how they get ya. Well, that and the labor. So I have an old buddy that I went to high school with, Mr. Scott Wood, and I know that he was always customizing motorcycles, his truck. He was very knowledgeable about auto shit. I knew only what I had learned so far to dick around with spark plugs and distributor caps, but now I'm looking at a pretty big overhaul on the front left suspension of my Jimmy. So I got a hold of Scott and I said, hey, if I can get my Jimmy there. Now, granted, when I left Dave's tires, they told me that you're pretty much driving around in a death trap. And at the time, I lived across the city of Columbus from Scott. So that was like a 30-minute trip in a death trap. But a need to be frugal 
forced me to do what I had to do. So Scott agreed, hey, I got every tool you can need. Get over here. I'm like, I've got the book. The book will tell us exactly what to do, how to do it. I even told him I'll do every bit of work that I can if you can just kind of help me when I need it. Mainly, I need the tools because I don't have the tools. I am happy to report that I successfully got the Jimmy to Scott's and hours, hours, hours later, we finally got that son of a bitch fixed. Now, it had other problems that continued to persist, so eventually I got rid of that motherfucking piece of shit. But that was my first foray into DIY auto repair where I realized, hey, don't be scared to do it. And, you know, now I'm at the point where I routinely do my own oil changes, my own brake pad and disc replacements. Since the Jimmy, I have done full front-end suspensions. I've done radiator replacements. And I assure you that all of the aforementioned shit that I have done and still do saves me money every fucking time. Why? Because I'm not afraid to roll up my sleeves and get my fucking hands dirty. Now, when it comes to auto DIY repair, I will tell you that while I still do oil changes and brake replacements on my vehicles, well, I don't want to sound like I'm rolling in the cash. I have one vehicle, but my kids have vehicles and I have tried to do stuff on their cars as well. Not tried, done, but you know what I mean. But I'm at a point, maybe it's I'm at an age, but if there's a major repair, I'm just going to take it somewhere. Fuck it. Unless I just simply don't have the money. At which point, the DIY guy is going to get resourceful up in this piece. But when it comes to DIY auto repair, one thing to always keep in mind, if you think it's going to take a half hour, go ahead and just plan on a day. If you think it's a two-hour job, just go ahead and reserve a car for rental for the next week. Oh my God, auto repairs, the amount of times, this is why I don't want to do them anymore because inevitably something will go wrong. A tool will break. A part will not come off. Oh, how many times have I tried to get a bolt or a nut or something that just in the video, it's like, you just turn this and then it comes off and you're good to go. No, and then you go to turn it and it's like, I'm using 200 pounds of pressure. I have gone out and bought air tools just to try and break nuts that I couldn't possibly break. Oh, I keep saying break nuts. Watch out, ladies. But there's nothing worse. Like, okay, imagine this. This has happened to me on multiple occasions. I've got my car jacked up. I've got tires or a tire off. I'm working on something. And then I realize, ah, I need a special tool. But I can't go to fucking AutoZone and rent that special tool for $5 because my car is up on checks and I've taken components off or done this or that. It's, ah. I remember for an ex-stepdaughter, I was going to do her brakes, and just trying to take the tire off, you had these nuts that were just stuck on there. And when you're trying to break a nut on a wheel or a tire, you kind of stand and apply a little pressure. I've done it a million times. It's fine. In this instance, it wasn't fine. The whole post, the threaded bolt that was part of the tire assembly was so rusted that when I applied my fat ass pressure on the breaker bar, it just broke off. And now I can't put her tire on properly with five threaded nuts. I can't do it. That's not safe. So this whole, I'm going to change 
change your brakes project. This should take about 20 minutes. All right, actually a brake job would not take 20 minutes, not solo, but it can be done in an hour. I'm sure less if you're rushing around the fucking garage like you think you're part of a NASCAR pit team or something. But now all of a sudden this became a huge fucking issue. It had to be towed to a shop. Just recently, in the last year, I was going to do a very basic oil change on my van, and just apparently over the period of time and the amount of times that I had removed the drain pan nut, it had started to strip a little bit, and now it was just like, nope, I could not take the nut out. And even if I figured out how to get the nut off, which I did, But now that nut is shot. You're never gonna tighten it up to where it's supposed to be. So I had to go buy a new drain plug to prepare for the oil change that was supposed to take place three days ago. My son's car is a Mini Cooper, which was my second vehicle years ago. And then I bequeathed that to him when he was driving a year and a half ago. Because really, I don't need two cars. The main car I need is the car that holds all my musical equipment, which is the minivan. Yes, Jeff is a soccer mom. You're welcome. But I remember when I was still driving that and the battery died. This was like two winters ago. The way that they compartmentalize everything inside this teeny tiny little Mini Cooper engine area, I could not get the battery out. I had bought a new battery. I just wanted to take that one out, put the new one in, put on the connectors, return the old battery for recycling, good to go. Nope, the battery was not removable. I had to go pay a shop 200 bucks because they had to remove all kinds of shit to get the fucking battery out. That's some bullshit. Bullshit. So just be wary. It's not bad to learn auto repair to a basic extent and not be afraid to reach into the engine and understand this is here. Oh, I can get this thing off really easy. Like your air filter, when you go for an oil change, it's so easy to replace your own air filter and probably cheaper than what they're gonna charge you. Replace your air filter before you get the oil change and then just see, do they try and suggestive sell an air filter? If they do and you you say, um, yeah, I just replaced that last week. Well, you might get some apologies. Who knows? Maybe you'll get a discount on your oil change. But don't waste the money on having someone do basic shit like that. Even with my home, it, you know, I mentioned the furnace. I'm not afraid to do my own construction or DIY. You know, my furnace, this is the first time I've had to do repairs with the furnace, but I have fixed my air conditioner twice in the nine-year period that I have been living in this house. And twice it was the same little issue. On the outside AC unit, there's like this little, oh, see, I don't even remember the term. You know what? Maybe it's a capacitor. I think a flux capacitor? No, just a regular capacitor. But the unit wasn't firing up and therefore wasn't blowing cold air. So I did some research. And that's the great thing about this day and age. Like with YouTube and stuff like that, you can learn to play guitar. Yay! You can learn how to fix your AC. Yay! You can learn how to not get a battery out of a Mini Cooper. Oh. There's a lot of shit you can learn. 
for free. That right there is probably my favorite thing about what the internet and media, social media, social media, what all of those things have provided to our society. That educational platform of shared educational knowledge is probably my favorite thing. These are a few of my favorite things. But I replaced that capacitor. It was probably like a $20, $30 part. Again, not even half the price of what it would cost to have someone come give me a quote, let alone the repair. And that thing, apparently, they just kind of have a shelf life. I have replaced it twice. And both times, it has solved my problem. When I moved into this house, I had my ex-wife. She had three children. I had my two children. Yeah, it's very Brady Bunch, but it was a four-bedroom house, and we needed more space, more rooms. I built two bedrooms in the basement of my house. I'm talking framing, electricity, drywall, subflooring, carpeting. These are legit rooms. The old saying goes that the mother of invention is necessity. I actually think it's more along the lines of the mother of resourcefulness is necessity. And I have been many times in my life in a position of necessity. And let me tell you, I got pretty fucking resourceful. The biggest issue with, you know, DIY, to be honest, is the fact that you always need new tools. Like with Scott, I was able to go to Scott's house and he had the tools available. But eventually, if you're going to continue to do this and do your own shit, you have to have the right tools. And you go to do something, it's like, fuck, I need this tool. You got to do something else, like, fuck, I need that tool. And inevitably, you've already bought all the basic tools. So now all the new tools you need, they're way more fancy and way more expensive. So there is a savings if you're going to do that DIY again and again. But for example, I own two circular saws and I have not plugged either of them in in uh, eight, nine years. But it's just not only my car and my home. I am the DIY guy in so many ways. As a balding man and a man who has shaved his head for the last many years. Now, I'm not right now. I'm growing my hair out because fuck it. I don't care. But for all those years... I was a DIY barber. I was doing my own fucking hair. Yeah, I know that sounds easy. It is. But honestly, so is changing a fucking spark plug. If you have the right tool, changing a spark plug is super fucking easy. Okay, here's something not so easy. I have done the majority of my own tattoos. That's right. I have 14 tattoos. I had to count them before the podcast because I didn't know off the top of my head. One of those tattoos is a half sleeve, which took multiple sessions, I guess, if you would say that. So it's technically more than one tattoo, but I'm counting that whole half sleeve as one tattoo. However, out of the 14 tattoos that I have, I have done nine of them. Three of those tattoos are on my right arm. I am right-handed. It would be very difficult to give myself a tattoo on my right arm. One of those tattoos is on the back of my neck. Again, kind of difficult. Oddly enough, the one across my stomach, I did that one. That was the first tattoo I ever did. I thought, before I tattoo anyone else, I'm going to tattoo myself and do it in a place where if I fuck up, no one's ever going to really notice. What I didn't realize was I was tattooing an area that I could barely see, and even when I could see it by tucking my chin into my sternum, that it was upside down. Son of a bitch! 
Now, I haven't done a tattoo to myself or anyone else in years. I think my tattoo days are behind me. Probably both giving and receiving. If I ever want another one, I'll just pay someone to do it. Again, it's kind of like going back to the whole auto repair thing where I'm just getting to an age where it's like, eh, that's too much trouble. Like, especially with tattoos, what you don't realize is that when you're getting a tattoo, your adrenaline surges because your body is trying to counter the pain and the intensity of what is happening, this constant needling of your skin. But as a tattoo artist, you want to keep a nice steady hand. So keeping a steady hand while your adrenaline is off the charts, I bet that's a lot of fun, Jeff. It's a struggle. So I think I've recorded long enough that I can go downstairs, turn my fuse back on, press the limit switch button, and get heat for another hour. I'm excited about that. I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Again, please go follow me on Twitter, Facebook, or TikTok at JeffBecomesJeff. Thank you so much, everyone, for continuing to tune in. Until next time. I'm Jeff, and even if I figured out how to get the nut off, which I did, and I'm Jeff, probably both giving and receiving. If I ever want another one, I'll just pay someone to do it. Good night.